fact, did you know that on average in the United States of America, uh, $720 per person is spent on forgotten subscriptions? Yeah. $720. Now, in, in, in today's inflation, like Judah, we're not here to talk about economics and inflation. I know $720 gets you about three cups of coffee a month, but for, for a whole year, did you know that? You right now, on average, every one of us in this room will spend over $700 this year and not even know it. Now, there's a few of you like, not me. Well, congratulations, you're an anomaly. And so when we say gift in 2021, it comes with baggage. That's just the facts. I come up here and I'm like, God wants to give you a gift. And you know what you think? What's the catch? Because Netflix says it's free for 30 days. And then they're banking on the fact that you forget that you signed up for free at some random hotel. I love these hotels. It's like, sign up for free right here. You can watch the entire stay at your hotel. But I forget that I signed up for HBO Max at some Westin somewhere in Austin, Texas, right? $720. So we have to acknowledge the fact the moment we start approaching the concept and subject of gift, we live in a suspicious society and time of human existence. Hey, man, I got a gift for you. I love people who give you gifts and then say, go ahead, um, open it right now. Oh, that's just too much for me to bear. I, I, I'm not good at it. Honestly, I, I consider myself to be a pretty, a pretty good in public settings, you know, in front of people. Like, I usually get, you know, not too nervous. But when someone hands me a gift, oh, and by the way, Jason Kennedy, I have your gift for your 40th birthday, and you are opening it in front of me tonight. Good news. By the way, Jason Kennedy just turned 40 years old. The founder of Church Home in Los Angeles. I got a gift for you, and if you, you're gonna have to open it, and I want you to cry. That's all I ask. It's like, bro, standards are so high. I hate that feeling. Here, man, here's a, here's a gift. And even that seems like a catch, right? Even that seems like a little bit of an ulterior motive, an agenda of sorts. Here's a gift, now open it. My least favorite is that person who gives you the gift and then expects to see you interacting with that gift somewhere in your journey. And next time they see you, they say something like this. Yo, you never wear those shoes, huh? And you're like, what shoes? Come on, man, those shoes I got you for your birthday last year. And you're like, oh, man, took those back immediately. <laughs> Some of you think you're generous, but the truth is you just re-gift stuff. I don't know if that counts as generosity as much as that counts as uh, cleaning out the clutter. Hey, man, I just want to bless you with these shoes. By the way, I have a rule. This is nothing to do with the sermon. And that is I only give gifts that I myself would want to receive. It's a good law. That's a law of love. And it's worthy of abiding by. Only give gifts that you yourself love. Some of you, I can see the wheels turning. You're like, that, that doesn't hold water all the time, though, Judah, because sometimes you're going to give to people who want something different. All right, relax, okay? Grow up. Like, Judah, don't tell people to grow up. You were late. So I come tonight, and of course, my assignment, like, like it is every time we get together at the Saban Theater, is to, is to tell you about Jesus. We're here tonight not to talk uh, about 
concepts and principles and keys and steps and things I think you should do. And here's four ideas of how to improve your social status. Here's a couple of ways to improve your sex life. Here's four ways to break that addiction you can't shake. Here's 15 resolutions for the new year. Listen, y'all have social media. You got plenty of that. My job tonight is to tell you the same story again. See, some of you are like, I'll never be a pastor. Well, before you get carried away, I get to use the same content every single time we get together. It's a pretty good deal. You do, next time you see me in the streets, you don't have to say, what are you going to speak on next? You already know. His name is Jesus. Jesus. We're here to talk about a person who's changed my life. We're here to talk about the gift of God, the gift of God was not a warm feeling. The gift of God was not mere clothes. The gift of God was not mere jewelry. The gift of God was not just the stars in the sky or the oceans or the waters or the rivers or the creeks or the deers or the giraffes or the hippopotamus. Yes, I got a hippopotamus to tonight's sermon. That was awesome. God's gift is himself. Gives himself. So what I'd like to do for the next few moments is I titled this talk, What Makes a Gift a Gift According to Jesus? Because we have lost the definition of gift. Gift now, many of you, let's be honest, no disrespect, you've already been to parties and it's the, 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 you being there is predicated on you bringing a gift because you'll also receive a gift. But if you're going to be at the white elephant experience, you have to also bring a gift. And so, again, we find ourselves in 2021. And when someone says, I have a gift for you, we go, uh, what is this going to cost me? What is the catch? And of course, if you're a thinking person and you've done some research on Christianity and you started to figure out real quick that the guy up there in the long jacket is one of them Christian preachers, you already know enough about Christianity to know that a lot of what is espoused from stages just like this is that you get in for free, but then it costs you everything. And so I say Jesus has a gift. God has a gift in the form of Jesus for you. And you go, yeah, but he also expects morality and he also expects an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of worship. And, and um, you guys, anybody ever been to church camp, anything like that? It's like, it's like an hour 10 into worship, and the worship leader's like, stand up, lift your hands. To the kids in the back, stand up. If you don't like this worship service, you're not going to like heaven. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shoot. I'm not prepared for forever. Like, this is a problem, right? Like, wait, this is what eternity's gonna be like? I gotta get out of here, right? And there just seems to be a catch to everything. What's the catch? Sign up for free, yeah. What's the catch? God has a gift for you, all right. What's it gonna cost me? What does a gift really mean. And I just get giddy. I'm not going to lie to you. I get excited. My palms are sweating right now. Was that too, too much detail? My palms are literally sweaty right now at the thought that I get to tell you about a gift, please hear me, that actually, quite literally, has no catch to it. Are you ready? Here's three observations. Here's what makes a gift a gift by definition, as defined by 
We'll call him baby Jesus tonight. It's not a bad thing, by the way. There ain't nothing wrong with praying to baby Jesus. But anyways, first observation, I, I really can't find any issue with praying to baby Jesus. Can I pray to you in the baby form? Like, I, I don't think he's in heaven going, come on, man. Um, anyways, that's funny. All right. What makes a gift a gift? Number one, the giver, that is the person of Jesus, is the initiator. Oftentimes in our society and in our culture and what we call the human experience, we receive gifts because we are deserving, because we warrant them, because we're a good person, because we're a noble person, we're a likable person, or we got, you know, born into the right family. And so somebody gives us a gift because of who we are. I got good news tonight. No matter your background, no matter your record, no matter your portfolio, no matter what you've done with your life or haven't done with your life or what you want nobody to know about what you've done with your life, I got good news. There is a gift prepared for you. Whether you have acknowledged this gift, whether you have recognized this gift, whether you have asked for this gift, whether you have desired this gift, whether you have wanted this gift, whether you have been looking for this gift, I got good news. The gift has been prepared for you. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 says this, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation, that is to take our place, to take our judgment in our place. In this is love, not that we love God. We got preachers like me so worried about all these people that don't love God. You know, we got to get people to love God. I, I, I call foul on that. That's not how I see it. I don't, I don't think that my job is to make sure that everybody loves God. I think my job is to let everybody know, no matter their love status with God, God loves them. And all of life just becomes what you're going to do with this extraordinary, extensive, unearned, unconditional zeal, passion, and white-hot love that God has for you. I hate God. I got good news. He loves you. I don't believe he exists. I got good news. He loves you. I think he's a big idiot in the sky. I got good news. He loves you. Yeah, it's, it's that extensive. And this is love. Not that we love God. God wasn't moved by your love. It wasn't your love that God was like, guys, guys, check these dudes out. They are begging for me down there. Oh, God! Come on, some of you grew up in church. God bless those prayer meetings. We meant well. Oh, God! Come down! Send revival! We're in a constant negotiation with God. Anybody ever cut a deal with God? You know what I mean? You're at camp or a conference or a retreat or an advance, depending on the church movement you were a part of. The church movement you're a part of has retreats. The church movement I was a part of, we had advances because God is always moving forward. <laughs> Look, I could go all night with church jokes. Do not get me started. All right? But we, we literally see ourselves as kind of like, a, I don't know, like we're at a bank negotiating for a loan, a loan of love. And we're like, God, this is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to do. I'm 17. I got a lot to offer, and I'm not going to offer it to Satan. I'm going to offer it to you. And I considered playing for the other team, but I'm not going to play for the other team. I'm going to play for your team. 
Now, I know you're in heaven going, whoa, we got a star. We got one of the good guys down here, guys. But here's what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to bring my wife to me real early along the journey. Now, I've written out the 19 qualities. Almost all of them are physical. But I've written out the 19 qualities I'm looking for, and by 20, I am believing you're going to deliver. And in response to that, I will take my talents to your team. And we think God's like, wow, where do I sign? It's just not how it works. The giver just initiates. The giver initiates. The giver initiates. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved. Uh, second observation, what makes a gift a gift according to baby Jesus is the giver intends only to give. You're not going to believe this. I mean, I hope you do, because I guess that's the point. But I'm going to quote a scripture to you. Thank you, Braylon. I heard that. I'm going to quote a scripture to you that I have memorized. I don't want you to feel intimidated. This is what I do. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. <laughs> Shut up. I hate all of you. And when I say hate, I mean love. You're like clapping for me. Like, oh, he's so cute. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever, I looked it up. I looked up whoever in the original language. It means whoever. <laughs> That's a good translation. So God gave for whoever. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you ask me for something precious to me, and nothing is more precious to me than my wife and my three children, if you ask for any of those four human beings, I can guarantee that if I give something like that, it's with a guarantee that you are going to respect, honor. I mean, you better believe. I got a baby girl. She is 12 going on 23. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for the person that wants to marry this young lady? It's going to be a problem. And I'm sure I'm going to have to be talked to by my friends. Like, you got to calm down. You got to calm down. Right? That's my girl. God gave his son for God so loved the world. I looked up the word world. You know what it means? It means sinful, broken system and the people in it. So God gave his son for contaminated people with the guarantee of whoever whoever, which is to say God is love and he loves because of himself. You understand what I'm saying? His love does not necessitate reciprocation. It's just who he is, therefore it's what he does. Whether, no matter how you respond, I think some of you think you're going to change God. Now God, you... Now, I know for me, my teenage years were rough, and you had to think I wasn't going to make it. But in my 20s now, I've really buckled down and committed to you, and God's like, yeah, man, I really thought, you know, really changed my mind about you. No, that's not, it, God's not like us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, God loves because of God. So he sent his son with the guarantee of whoever, 
because the giver intends to give no matter the response. You think God's going to stop loving you or being around you because you don't reciprocate or respond. Nope. The ancient psalmist said, I'm starting to get the idea that if, my, if I actually make my bed in hell, you're going to be in the bedroom with me. God said, yeah, I would. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. It's funny because over the years I've met some people who are like, man, to be honest, God wouldn't let me go. The reason that I responded to God is because God wouldn't let me go. And what's inferred in the testimony is that for other people, God has let go. But in reality, he never stops loving you, no matter what. God intends only. See, when God gives a gift, he intends to give it with no strings attached. He just, he just gives. He just gives. And, and then lastly, and this is where I'm going to camp a little bit longer. Um, so far, is this the fastest sermon I've ever preached? It sure is. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. And happy birthday. This will be the shortest sermon I will ever do for the rest of my life. But it's going to get a little bit longer because point three is my favorite. What defines a gift? The giver initiates. The giver intends only to give. And then lastly, the giver actually gives himself. He gives him himself. John 15, 13 says uh, that the greatest love is when a man or woman lay down their life for their friend, their friend. God says, that's the greatest love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So John 15, 13, like any other verse, is more about Jesus than it is about you. Now, that's a wonderful verse for you to really really be there for your friends. John 15, 13 is a great verse. And I got no problem with people taking John 15, 13 and borrowing it to talk about friendship. I'm, a, I'm, one of, I'm loyal. Oh, that's awesome. That's so good. I, you know, John 15, 13 is my life verse. Sweet. That's incredible. You know, because I lay down my life for my friends. I'm, let's grow. I'm ride or die. That's incredible, bro. I think John 15, 13 is a wonderful life verse. As long as you understand, you got to put it back where you found it. Because what it's really about is God pointing an arrow at his son, saying the greatest expression of love was when Jesus laid down his life for his friends, and that's, that's you. That's you. He, he laid down his life for you. You know, we're living in such an interesting age, and it's going to get wilder. The information age has brought upon us a level of hermeneutics or Bible interpretation that we probably weren't prepared for. What I mean by that is it is very easy now 
to study the Old Testament. It's very easy now to look through the creation account, very easy to get commentaries, and very easy to listen to audio books. And so as a result, we have a lot of people who are taking up issue with the Hebrew Bible, with the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. And they're saying, listen, are these stories for real? Are these stories, did they actually happen? Now, whether or not you are persuaded that they did happen, like me, is really actually not that important anymore. Now, that might cause you some uh, ha harm and alarm, but uh, please, Please do not be fearful or, or worried because uh, we are here tonight, at least I'm here tonight doing what I'm doing, um, not be just because um, uh, 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 the Hebrew Bible. I, I am here because there is a historical fact that there was a man born in a barn in Bethlehem, um, and it definitely wasn't December 25th. We just picked that one out the air, and it's been great ever since, but um, we're not for sure when it happened. I hate to burst your bubble. It might have been in August, you know, but, 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 but he was born in a barn. And, and he was put in the feeding trough and he had a stepdad named Joseph and a, and, and, a, and a virgin mother named Mary, a virgin mother, a virgin, virgin mother named Mary who gave birth. And, 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 and that night, just that night, just that night, uh, shepherds came who, who, who we've made them very beautiful and wonderful and cute. And, and everybody wants to be a shepherd, but not then. Shepherds were nobody. Shepherds weren't even allowed in the, in, in the synagogue. Shepherds weren't allowed in the temple. Shepherds shouldn't be the first people to come worship, but the, the unclean, the unclean came first to worship him, and, and he wasn't in a he wasn't in a in in, in a in a tower. He, he he wasn't in a Taj Mahal. He he wasn't in a palace. He was in a barn. He was in a in a feeding trough. He was born to a lowly family. They didn't have a lot of means. They didn't have a lot of money. And and, and then the animals were there, and that was stinky, and that was smelly. And he didn't arrive with pomp and pageantry. He he didn't arrive like we thought he would, and so he was easily missed, and sometimes still is. But, but his name is Emmanuel, which means God is among us. God is with us, and for some 33 years he, he lived. But you know, the truth is, we see him at as a newborn, we see him as a toddler. By the way, a lot of people think the wise men came to the barn that night. The wise men weren't there. It took the wise men some two to three years to get there, which drives me wild with the Christmas story when we tell it because the shepherds came to worship a baby that couldn't talk. Now, I could almost worship a baby that couldn't talk, but how dare you ask me to worship a two to three-year-old human being because I have some of those. these wise men who don't seem so wise to me knocked on the door. Mary opens, Joseph opens, what's up? We're here to worship the king. But let me change the king's diaper real quick before you meet him. All right. We brought him gifts. Imagine if you're Mary and Joseph, you're like, wait, wait what? Wait, what? And we brought him gifts. And, and then we see him at 12 in the temple confounding the preachers and the pastors and the bishops and the overseers. And, but we don't see him again till he's 30. And in three short years, this wonderful Jewish man, don't get it twisted. Jesus has an ethnicity and it's eternal and it's Jewish. Did you know that? Everybody's like, well, I think Jesus looked more like me. We don't have to debate this, folks. Jesus was Jewish. So 
And to this day, there remains a unique blessing upon my Jewish brothers and sisters. God chose his ethnicity, he's Jewish. Let's honor that, let's respect that. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And we will see Jewish Jesus in eternity. Do you know that? Because the Bible says we will see the piercing in his hands and the piercings in his side, which is to say he will still have the physical form of a Jewish man. Do you know that Jesus took on the form of a man, a Jewish man for eternity? I want you to imagine if I asked you to save ants, all the ants in America, but I said one caveat is you gotta become an ant. And you're like, man, I can't become an ant. I'm a grown man. That doesn't even begin to scratch the surface on the description and the delta that God crossed from his eternal being to take on the form of a man. But we will see him forever in that form and we will worship the Jewish Jesus. We will worship the Jewish Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. He showed up at 30 in three years, in three years. My brothers and sisters, we are here tonight to celebrate a story that spread has been nothing short of the single greatest phenomenon in human history. It is undeniable. There is no other belief system. We'll talk later if you want to, but there is no other belief system with this story, with this history, with this supernatural. And the Bible says they crucified him. They crucified him. But it should be noted that it wasn't a murder. He, he wasn't born to be murdered. He was born to die. That's very different. It was no tragedy, as it were, defined by our storytelling in modern means. This, this was not a man who was suddenly taken up by the Roman soldiers and shocked at his own incarceration. And No! Remember what he said to Pilate? Pilate said, you won't speak to me, man. Do you know who I am? I have the power of life and death. Jesus finally spoke and said, sir, you have no power unless I gave it to you. You think that I cannot call thousands of legions of angels? No one takes my life. I lay it down. We're not here to talk about a murder tonight. I'm not here to talk about religion tonight. I didn't come from my boy's game tonight to tell you about some concepts or constructs that are man-made or man-initiated. Though the religion of Christianity has been tarnished by traditions and customs, there remains a purity that you and I can lay hold of. And that purity can't be found in mere buildings and programs. That purity is only found in the person of Jesus who is alive and amongst us, walking the aisleways of the Saban Theater on this night. Don't get me started. I'm trying to be calm and not giving my life just to some concepts that a couple of people with one kind of perspective on life based on their one kind of ethnicity and their one kind of country. No, we are here talking about God, God's gift to the world in the person of Jesus. And he came to die, but I want to remind you that he died on the middle cross. And that ought to conflict with the constructs of your Western experience. Please, nobody tell me anymore that, well, you know, the Western world is good. I don't worship a Western religion. It came from the East. Everybody relax. This country is new. God is not. 
This is new. This is all new. The gangs we, we created, Republicans, and that's all new. We're all down here acting like this has like been on forever. This is all new in the light of eternity and the sovereignty of God. In no red and blue. Talking about the man who died on the middle cross before there was a United States of America. Talking about the Jewish man on the middle cross. He was on the middle cross. You hear me? I said he's, on the, he's in the middle because God's gift is himself. And you know where he is? He's in the middle of your life. He's in the middle of your mess. And he's in the middle of our culture and society. He's in the middle. He's not on your side. He's in the middle. Do you hear what I'm telling you? I was looking at the cross again just the other day, and I was recognizing that the two criminals that flank the man on the middle cross are indicative of human beings everywhere, are they not? Are we not all criminals? The Bible says we were all born in sin. The Bible says we were born selfish. We were born thinking in terms of me, myself, and I. What can I get? What brand can I build? What money can I get? What recognition can I get? What renown can I receive? And our life becomes about us. By definition, we have all committed crimes. Crimes against ourselves, crimes against humanity. Make no mistake, you're in this story. And what you need is a man in the middle of it all. He hung there and it never ceases to me, never ceases to amaze me how entitled the human condition really is because the Bible says that one of the criminals who was up under the same condemnation and judgment and public humiliation, he said, if you're God, save me and prove it. And I thought to myself the other day, isn't that the truth of our condition? Aren't we so entitled? Don't we believe that God owes us something so much that we can be hanging under, up under the death penalty and still believe that if you're God, why don't you save me? Then if I would have been the man on the middle cross that day on Golgotha, as the clouds were beginning to gather and the sky was growing dark and the earth was soon to shake, I would have looked at the man on my right and said, excuse me, sir. He said nothing. In fact, that's not true. He said something over and over and over. You can hear the man on the middle cross praying the same prayer. And there's no record how many times he prayed the prayer. All we know is in the original language, he prayed that prayer, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Bible insinuates in the original language, he prayed it over and 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 over. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the man on the other side said, don't you even fear God? We're up under the same punishment as him and us justly because we're criminals. But the man, I please, whoo, man, you mean to tell me that one of those guys hanging next to him, do you know what it takes to believe the man who's being eliminated just like the man under the same death penalty as you? Can you imagine what the man must have saw? 
as he hung there in excruciating pain. We struggled to believe God in an air-conditioned auditorium in the middle of Beverly Hills. This man hung naked on a cross, and yet what he witnessed in the man in the middle who was disfigured beyond recognition because he was beaten unlike the other criminals that flanked him. And he said, hanging there, do you not also, do you not understand this man's done nothing wrong? I wonder if one of the criminals heard the man praying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, you need to forgive them. Pour it out on me. They don't understand what's happening. It's hard for them to see. It's hard for them to understand. I look normal. I look like a man. I look average. They don't get it. Please forgive them. Don't hold their sins against them. Pour it out on me. And he says to another criminal, he says, don't you fear God? And I got to admit, in my darkest, lowest days, which have been mostly recent, frankly, I've thought to myself, what the criminals must have saw that day, the honor it must have been to hang next to God. And he said, um, sir, Lord, he used the word Lord, which means the Lord of the whole earth. Now, I don't know what you believe, but I dare you to show me another world belief system where the man who is up under the same death penalty is Jesus still believes the man next to him suffocating in his own blood is God. Because the Bible says so many people walked by and said he said he was God, but he can't even save himself. Now that, those are the people I understand. But it's the criminal, the criminal I want to be who saw something in the Jewish man on the middle cross. He said, Lord, will you remember me in paradise? And Jesus, while holding himself up on the cross as his lungs, people don't understand crucifixion was suffocation. That's, that's what it was. It was suffocation. You suffocated in your own blood. That's how you died through crucifixion. By the way, many men were crucified alone. Many were crucified with 10 crosses and seven crosses and eight crosses and four crosses and one cross. But Jesus was crucified between two crosses. Just to let you know, even in his death, where he is. He's in the middle of your life. He's in the middle of your mess. And, and Jesus looked at the man and he spoke nothing to this criminal. I have so much to say to him. Not Jesus. He turns to the man and he says, today you will be promoted with me to paradise. And all of the great thinkers and mystics and theologians, all of their theology is now broken because preachers today don't want to tell you the truth 
that his love is so extensive and so magnificent and so aggressive. His forgiveness is so aggressive that you can be hanging from your own death penalty and with the few amounts of stamina and energy you have left, you can ask him to remember you and I assure you, he will. I came to talk to you tonight about a gift. A gift that is yours if you want it. It will not be forced upon you. It will be placed in front of you. But he's on the middle. I caution criminals everywhere not to think that God is on your side and not their side. Well, you know how they are. Well, you know. Be careful because they're just as close to Jesus as you are in regards to his gift. <laughs> and that's where we got it wrong down here as humanoids because we keep picking gang colors and we keep picking sides and we think the creator of heaven and earth is in heaven going, finally more people are in my gang. Get out of here. Get out of here. Where are the criminals in the middle? I want to be with the man in the middle. I don't know about that side or that side. I just, I'm going to hang on to the man in the middle. Right before he breathed his last, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That statement was not for him. That statement was for you. For God the Father forsook his son. Judah explained the dynamics. I am incapable, quite literally. The father turned his back on the son so that he could turn his face towards you. Why have you forsaken me? so that I can accept them, son. So I give you my son as my greatest gift to humanity. And in case we thought the Jewish man on the middle cross was like every other criminal he di who died, he, he did exactly what he told us he would do on exactly the third day. By the way, in Jewish law, the third day was the final day, and it was the day that you rendered the body of your Jewish loved ones officially dead. And so Jesus, he, was, he, he came up from the grave when everyone thought it was over, and he appeared to his disciples. And some of us think, I'm proud of Jesus, but our ancestors, you know, they hid in a locked room because they were afraid, just like you and me, afraid of what might happen. And Jesus walked through the walls and he said, here I am. And he said, I want you to touch my hands and I want you to see the piercings in my side. I want you to see the scars of my gift. How I love you. The other day, I know this might sound strange and I'm done, I'm done. This is the shortest sermon ever except not anymore. I was listening to a friend's album 
he had just released it. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's not a Christian album because uh, that album didn't get saved. It's a secular album. These are new things we're inventing every time as Christians. It's amazing. Is this a Christian album? Uh, no, it's a, I don't think the album has yet to receive Jesus. So I don't, I don't know if it's Christian. I don't know. We, gotta, we should ask the album. Boy, we think so much of ourselves and the labels we give to the stuff we do. God's not like that. I was listening to the album and this happened about a week ago and I had one of the most phenomenal experiences of my adult life and I wasn't prepared for it. I was listening to the album and I was so proud of my friend, you know? And all of a sudden, what came over my body was a sensation that God was not next to me around me, but it's like he was on me. I can't explain it to you. And immediately, you know, at 43, I, I really do love Jesus, but I am an absolute nightmare and a mess. But I tell you this much, I know when he's manifesting himself in a room, like I can just feel it. I don't know. I'm not great at a lot of things, but I'm usually pretty good at that. And I said, well, hello. Whoa. And I'm so embarrassed to tell you this, but at first I was like, this isn't even a worship album. Which I think was part of the plan, you know, God just like letting me know how he sees things. And I just kind of sat in this and Chelsea would tell you, I was trying to hold back the tears because I know I cry a lot. My mom called me today. This is a true story, guys. And she's like, Judah, are you taking something that's making you extra emotional? And I was like, Mom, I'm 43. It might be a midlife thing. I don't know. <laughs> Someone who hasn't been in our church very long today was like, man, I love those sermons you give and how you cry at the end of every one. I was like, that was not the point, but that used to never be the rhythm. But anyways, I'm a mess, whatever. I don't apologize for the emotion. I can't help it. But I said, well, hello. And I was sitting in the plane and now I'm like, you know, I can't ugly cry in first class. Like, Judah, you didn't have to say first class, all right? That wasn't necessary. That was a little too much. I want you guys to know how I fly. I'm getting free upgrades, all right? Relax, everybody. Just relax. It's not your offering money. Relax. Um, you know what I mean? I'm sitting there, and I go, well, hello. And, 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 and it really happened like this, Israel. It was wild. I meant to tell you this at coffee this morning, to be honest. And, um, ha, man, I'm going to get through this. He said, um, how amazing is my son? I said, did you just, like, come on me to share with me how much you love one of your kids? Like all this is running through my head and I'm like, you're wild, man. He said, how amazing is my son? And so I started to tell him that I agreed. And, um, you know, I know that guy pretty well and that guy's not here tonight, just to be clear. Okay, some of you are like, which friend is it? Relax. Um, just enjoy the moment, okay, you investigators. 
And I said, um, he's really amazing, God. And he said, yeah. And man, all of a sudden, I just like, um, I felt God's massive smile. And I was like, whoa, I can't even handle your smile, man. It's like too much for my body. This love you have, this is crazy. It's, yeah. And it's like, um, it's like he just shared. And, and honestly, like, as weird as it sounds, and I'm not trying to be super emotional, and I, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't tell you, you know? But then I wasn't going to tell you tonight, but then the sermon got long, and I was like, let's make it longer, you know? <laughs> but um, <laughs> I hate you guys. But um, I actually, in my mind, I told God, I can't, um, I can't sit here much longer with this. Because it's like, um, it's like the purest thing I feel. And I, um, when you have a kid, the best way I can describe that love is it's crazy. Like you're not well ever again. I'm so serious. You have a baby and you're like, seriously, look at my baby wrong and see what happens. I will kill you. And when they ask me in court if I killed you, I will say not fast enough. My only regret, your honor, is that it took me 10 minutes instead of two. That is my child. Mama Bear is real, and so is Papa Bear. Like Judah, we're not saying Papa Bear at the conclusion of a sermon, bro. You can't insert Papa Bear and expect people to take you seriously. That's true, that's an extra, that's a fair point. It's, um, it's like insidious this love. And that's the wrong word, but I'm trying to give you adjectives. <laughs> you know what I mean? I said that and I was like, that's not, that definition doesn't fit at all, you weirdo. But it's like, um, am I unraveling or is that just me? Okay, so <laughs> it's just crazy love. It's like, <clears throat> and like, and the older your kids get, the less you can like hold them like that. Because you see them and you're like, my daughter had a trouble with the dentist today because it's in our DNA. I hate the dentist, and if you are a dentist, try something else. And if you guys didn't exist, we wouldn't have to go. You know, like, that's a thought. Just get fake ones, and it would be normal for everyone, you know? But I like, I held her because I found out she had to get a lot of shots today, and I, and I have to tell myself, calm down, don't freak her out, don't be a weirdo. Because I want to be like, Ugh. Come here. What did the dentist do to you? Oh, we think we know love. You don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of it. He's so crazy about you, man. He's so crazy about you. See, you forgot that he forgets. Did you know that? You know, he remembers our sins no more. We got to give Jesus more credit. We got to give the performance of Jesus more credit. We got to give the morality of Jesus more credit. 
We gotta give the excellence of Jesus more credit. We gotta give the perfection of Jesus more credit. See, he's so perfect, so morally sound, so excellent, so righteous, so through and through himself always and forever that he was the perfect, sinless sacrifice. And he bore all of the judgment and the wrath of the holy heavenly father within his own body. So what is left for you is love. And he loves you. And those laughs were very unusually timed. And I couldn't help but notice. But I'm glad that my tears are laughable. No, he's obsessed with you. And you know, that's the best gift I could give you, is to tell you about Jesus and then remind you one more time he thinks you're amazing. How amazing is my son, Judah? Yeah, he's incredible. I know. I love his album. I think every song is so special to me. <laughs> and we're down here picking songs apart. But that's, you know, I don't know if that's edifying. Man, we're so caught up with our performance, aren't we? How powerful do you think you are? Some of you believe yourself to be more powerful than Jesus because you believe that the performance of Jesus is not as powerful as yours. You believe that your sin has the power to override the sinless sacrifice of Jesus. I am here to announce this Christmas it does not. And that he has forgotten. This is, this is, and I'm done, I'm done. I'm, I don't even, I think we already worship. This is very problematic for me. I'm done, I'm done. And here's the sensation I got, and this is where I'm gonna, I'm gonna end. It occurred to me while sitting on that plane last week that God does not even consider my friends dumb decisions. And while I sat there, I got the scripture in my soul. As far as the east is from the west, so I have separated you from your sins. And I have remembered them no more. You know who remembers your sin? You. You know who doesn't? God. It has already been paid for. This is, it gets so good. What the dumb thing you're going to do tomorrow. Judah, I wasn't planning on it. Okay, the dumb thing you're going to do two years from now because you're going to go on a great two-year run. It's already forgiven. And I hope I get more emails. They're kind of motivating me these days at 43. I'm like, tell me I'm going too far with Jesus. And the compliments just keep rolling in. Because before this is all said and done, and I moved to the desert with my wife in 20 years to drink wine every single day, I'm going to take the message of his forgiveness and grace as far as it goes. We will not leave this building tonight thinking about our own performance, for your performance does not compare to the perfect performance of Jesus. You are forgiven, you hear me. You are loved and you are the object of his divine obsession. 
and his countenance towards you is beaming. They used to end all the church services back in the day. And, and I can't remember what it was called, but it's, a, it's the, I was going to say the eulogy, Judah, that's not it. But the point is, they would end. And the Hebrew people did this. And may he cause his face to shine upon you. Here's what I can guarantee. His mercies are new every morning. And from the space station, they see over 16 sunsets and sunrises a day. So it doesn't even mean that you get new mercies just every 24 hours. It means you get new mercies throughout the day. And you can wake up and know his countenance is shining upon you. Now go live the life you only dreamed of. For you are loved, and you are forgiven, and you are accepted, and you are righteous. How do you know, preacher? For the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes, believe does not mean to earn it. It doesn't mean to deserve it. It doesn't mean to warrant it. It doesn't mean to understand it. It just means to receive it. Translation, it means to open a gift just like you do on Christmas. And when you do that, you'll know that you know that you know that you're righteous and you're loved and you're accepted and you're forgiven forever. So I'll say what all the old preachers used to say, bow your heads and close your eyes. Haven't said that in a long time and it feels nice. And you certainly don't have to. I just said it because it felt good. You can keep your eyes open and look around if you want for all I care. I just said it because my dad used to say it and it felt nice. But if you want to close your eyes because it helps you focus, please do. But I want to ask anyone here tonight who wants to receive. Who wants to receive? Who wants to receive? Who's ready to receive? Who's ready to receive? Who's ready to admit I can't earn it? I can't even guarantee everything will change from here on out, but I want to receive it. Do you know there is no pressure? You better hear me. There's no pressure. When you receive this free gift in the person of Jesus and total forgiveness that only comes through Jesus, listen to me, there's no pressure. It's not given with a caveat. It's not given with a catch. It doesn't mean that everything has to change immediately as if you can change yourself. You're not your own savior. You're not the transformer. That's up to Jesus. To receive just means right now in this moment, you are divinely persuaded there's a God. His son, his name is Jesus, and he came and paid the ultimate price for your air, wrong, sin, and selfishness, and you would like to to receive the ultimate gift in the universe is known and unknown. If you'd like that on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. You know who you are. One, two, three. If that's you, shoot your hand up all over the room. Hands going up all over the room. <laughs> I receive. I receive. And so you are free, my friend. You are free. You are untethered to your performance. You are untethered from your past. You are free. And whom Jesus sets free is forgiven and free completely and forever. Past, present, and future sins all covered and forgiven because of the perfect work of Jesus. And you will never be the same again. God, we thank you so much for these monumental moments we get to share as we gather together and consider again the width, the height, the length, and the depth of your love. 
I never met anybody like you, Jesus. Not even close. I love you so much. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.